Hey everybody, it's Tim again. Just letting you know that the uh, Kickstarter for Death Ray Designs, Black Sight X, and Rapid Vanguard is over. However, they still have plenty of awesome products on their website, deathraydesigns.com, and I know they will also be doing a late backer pledge coming up soon. Uh, when that's going to be, I don't know yet, so stay tuned. And for other fun news, just to give everybody a heads up, every other Friday and Saturday mornings, I will be at Gigabytes Cafe in Marietta, Georgia. I'll be running various different games, anything from Frostgrave to Kings of War to uh, Warzone to Batman and a whole bunch of other stuff in between. It's going to be really cool. So if you're ever in the Atlanta area and you want to come by and say hi, stop by Gigabytes Cafe in Marietta, and I'll see you there. All right, folks, we're back for another episode of Skirmish Supremacy, and as usual, I am joined by my co-host, Nick, who's over there drinking another delicious, delicious beer and rubbing it right in my goddamn face. It's Today, we so are joined tasty. By... <laughs> Dick. Today, we are joined by Legion McRae out of Canada, of all places, and he's going to be talking about his uh, miniature line called Interloper Miniatures, and the only thing I got to say to that is robot chickens and combat chickens in a post-apocalypse setting. Legion, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Uh, it's, uh, thanks for inviting me to be on the show. This is actually my first podcast, so this is really cool. Don't worry. Nick and I will be very, very gentle. Ah. <laughs> Until you have no other choice. So tell us a little bit about... <laughs> <laughs> tell us a little bit about Interloper Miniatures. You actually have quite a unique range of miniatures that has just, to me, just popped up. That I've noticed it uh, mostly on the group. This is not a test. Some people have been picking up a uh, your robot hunters, which is a group of post-apocalyptic chickens, which is fucking hilarious, by the way. And people have been using them. And this is not a test. Nick was actually the one to point out your miniatures to me, and I saw you have basically Watership Down and some Thunder of the Barbarian and other really cool inspired themes. Tell us a little bit about how you got involved in this and uh, your process. And all the other good shit that goes along with it. Sure, cool, thanks. Um, well, uh, the the initial reason for doing this was all the miniatures that um, I make and have on my website are miniatures that I wanted. And after waiting like thirty or forty years in some cases, and nobody doing it, I just decided to do it. Um, that's one of the reasons that I. Well, actually, the main reason why. I'm my company is called Interloper Miniatures because an interloper is somebody who puts their nose in where it's not really wanted. <laughs> well, it makes sense. <laughs> yeah, and so um, the process was really, really, I got this whole thing going because I wanted the chickens. That's really how this whole thing started. Um, and then when I decided that I was going to do that, um, I thought, well, let's make a couple of other packs. And uh, I've got a, a few other packs that still haven't happened yet that were um, part of the original thinking about making the, the, the company. Um, I did an Indiegogo to get it started, um, what, that three, two, three years ago, maybe? 
and um, didn't didn't fully fund, but you know got some cash that I didn't have before. Ma- managed to get the figures done up, and even though I didn't uh, fully fund, I did manage to fulfill. I think about only three months late, which for crowdfunding is actually pretty good. That puts you right on schedule for most crowdfunding. Yeah, I think so. I felt really bad about it, but uh, some other friends of mine who have done um, crowdfunding projects assured me that nobody was going to have a problem with getting their stuff three months late. So it all worked out. I've got stuff that I'm, it's been two, three years. I'll get it. Maybe. Yeah, for sure. D&D documentary, I'm looking in your direction. Oh, burn. Nice. So so you had this uh, up on Indiegogo, and it didn't quite fun. You went ahead and uh, decided to get ballsy with it and do it anyway. So your your primary inspiration was the chickens. Yeah, what led are, you to make um, the They're an old ones? Gamma World thing, like old Gamma World. Right. I definitely see that in your design concepts. So what decided you or what made you decide to do all the other ones and not just expand upon the chicken line? Well, um, uh, uh, two, two things. Um, I just decided that, uh, again, um, the, the rabbit guys, um, there weren't any really great ones out there. And again, after waiting, what, 30 years, something like that for somebody to get around to doing it. Um, and then once I decided to add little bits of other races, if you will, um, I realized that, uh, one of my favorite mi- miniature manufacturers, he's also, uh, here in BC is, uh, Pulp Figures by Bob Merch. And, uh, he does like character packs and then unit builder packs. And that's what caused me to double back on the chickens and do that three rifle arm chicken pack. So that you can get the, you know, the robot hunter guys as like your leaders or heroes or whatever, and then do a unit builder pack to bulk out your flock, I guess it is. That's exactly what I did. I've got as many as I'm actually going to be using them for this is not a test. Because in Marietta, Georgia, there's a KFC. And this KFC has a 56 foot tall head of a chicken that... Its eyes roll and its mouth opens continuously. It's like 24-7. I've been by there at like midnight and it's still going. And it's creepy as hell. It's creepy as hell, but I thought right here would be a perfect spot. This chicken is going to become, you know, this giant chicken is going to become a landmark for a post-apocalyptic setting. The damn thing's going to still be going. I'm going to figure out how to do it. If it's the only piece of terrain I ever build myself, it's going to be this giant frickin' chicken. And then I stumbled across his chicken soldiers, and I went, not only am I going to have a giant frickin' chicken in this post-apocalyptic environment, but there's going to be chicken worshippers. <laughs> so built a whole scenario. A cult in your army. It is. It's going to be a chicken cult. Priests with buckets on their heads? <laughs> that's actually not hard to model right nope, that sounds <laughs> like totally fun do that. oh yeah now i definitely got to see that army on the table 
They're they're in the middle pile to do. After awesome. all these dwarves. Cool. Yeah. Um. My my guys have been showing. It's it's interesting, Nick, that you say that because I've every once in a while I do a search. And every once in a while, a new batch will turn up on somebody's blog that, you know, somebody has bought them and, and uh, painted them up and use them in games. This is, this is not a test comes up pretty frequently. So, so I actually ultimately went and bought it. And it's actually a pretty tight set of rules. It definitely is. And actually, this is not a test only has, I think it's about a day left. Um, they, they did a Kickstarter. They're trying to put the book in hardcover. And, uh, oh, cool. and and the whole yeah, they, Kickstarter seems pretty cool. And they blew that right out of the water. <laughs> oh yeah, that was hilarious. I was he posted it. I went to back it. By the time I finished backing it, I was backer number six. By the first hour or two hours, it had blew away its first its goal. That's great. By the first day, he's like, um, guys. I wasn't expecting this, and I don't I don't know what to do for stretch goals at this point. So, yeah, it was yeah, pretty well, funny. Was... I remember uh, talking with Joe quite a bit about it, just uh, via Facebook chat and back and forth. And he was like, uh, he's just like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> yeah, stretch goals can become hairy if you don't have a plan for it. I mean, look at some of the, again, you know, talking about crowdfunding and the things that happen. Uh, you know, they don't fulfill and they fulfill and they just implode. A lot of that is uh, attributable to people freaking out over stretch goals. Yeah, very much so. Um, they they reach a certain point and instead of just being honest with people and saying, hey, you know what? You guys are kind of kicking my ass right now. They just kind of sit silent and it irritates people. Yeah. And, yeah, and like, actually, and oh. like with, with writing, uh, you know, like a, a PD like that, so you're going to add more chapters now the book's going to be or whatever right that's and yes it's hard i write so i get it but it's not producing a physical object like you know like a, a new range of minis that have to be to people right and hold on one second Let's see. Here. Hey, Nick, do you still got me on there? Yeah. Okay. Um, did we lose him? I'm not hearing anything on that side. Um, no, I'm here. Yeah, I, okay, he, he kind of stopped talking, but unfortunately there was some static over the line or, you know, just packet loss. No. Oh, okay. Skype being Skype. Pretty much. Pictures a little bit here, and uh, the one thing is that the ones I really like, and uh, we're not going to get sued, but I really like your Wasteland Warriors. Got to say that uh, that really takes me back to my childhood, and I would not mind putting those in a game. Yeah, thanks a lot. Um, th- again, like once once I decided the chickens had happened, and and you know, and that that my first round of figures had had been put out, I decided, you know what, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to do those three guys and see what happens. And it's a, uh, I have a totally niche line of figures. I get that. Like tons of people don't want my figures, but the people that see them and really, like you say, it take you, takes you back to 
cartoons, Saturday morning cartoons, that's my market. Right. And especially for a lot of these smaller indie games, like we were talking about, this is not a test. It's, you know, it definitely falls in on that category of not everything has to be taken seriously. Like if, if you could have your couple of serious forces for the game, then you're just like, you know what? I want the boss bugs or I want to whip out my chicken forces. We can do that, you know, and people are still going to look at it. They're going to laugh, but it's still going to kind of fit with the theme. Yeah, I mean, if you're not having fun, you're not gaming right. Yeah, I've always believed that. Like, you know, I've I've had my days being the hardcore tournament player. I mean, hell, I'm going to one this weekend for Kings of War, but I mean, I'm there to have fun at the end of the day. Like, I'm 34 years old. My my days of, you know, hardcore beat your face in tournament gaming are kind of done. Like, if I'm not having if I'm not going to have a good time, I just don't want to be there. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, awesome. winning is cool, but yeah, you know, so is having fun. Exactly. So you have, let's see here, one, two, three, four, five different lines that are out in your, in your whole spectrum of miniatures right now. So the other ones that I see on here that again, kind of harken back to a land of some dinosaurs and other stuff are the hissing lizards which I just saw these, and these are freaking hilarious. <laughs> yeah, th- thanks a lot. They're, uh, I'm, I'm pretty happy with them. They're, uh, they're, they're all scaly, and, you know, they look like they should look when you... That thing it reminds me of, that's exactly what they look like. Yeah, it's, uh, you definitely did a good job capturing it, because the more I'm looking at them, yeah, I mean, it just... It harkens back to the old uh, rubber makeup and everything else where you could tell it's like looking at this, you're going, okay, it's a miniature and it's believable for the tabletop, but I could see like dudes in small rubber suits running around pretending to be lurching lizards. Exactly. <laughs> They're totally in rubber suits. Yeah. And that's what I was going for. So I'm glad you're seeing that. Yeah, there's another definitely guy, cool. There's another guy that makes uh, um, similar figs, uh, the Forge of Ice. Uh, I think the guy that runs it, his name is Alex. Great guy to deal with. Um, and he's got a range of figures like my lizards that he calls Salisa. So if you like these, I recommend you check him out as well. Yeah, I'm definitely going to have to do that. Now, I did notice on your website, and uh, anybody else that's going to go on to interloperminiatures.com and look, you'll notice this. You have one that doesn't look like it's ready called Batface. Oh, yeah. No, the reason that I, I just decided to post that, it's ready to go. Um, it's just I decided sort of in the spirit of coming on the podcast, I've been sitting on it because it's not like I don't have a painted example to be in the store. Um, but I just decided, you know what, I'm going to post it. And it, no, it's ready to go. You, you get a three-part bat and a two-part flight stand. And, uh, you, you know, you do have to supply your own torso but um, it's been designed, it was sculpted by Bob Ollie, one of my favorite sculptors of all time. Um, uh, the, 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 the waist that you can see on the rider on the bat there is sized to fit uh, Imperial Guard torsos, which, you know, everybody has eight of those lying around. Oh, yeah. Now I've got a reason to put my catechins under giant bats. 
<laughs> that would be awesome. What fits with yeah, the jungle theme I've got going on? I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say it fits with the jungle theme I've got going on. Oh, excellent! Awesome. So you got the the bat face, which is a new one up there. Um, what else do you kind of have planned coming out in the future? Like, I, I know that this is not the end of what you're going to be doing. There, there's you have, you have touched upon a vein of way too much stuff from here 70s and 80s to just stop here what else what else can you tell us that you got coming out well um i've got two packs in the works one has already been concepted by um torin atkinson the guy local guy that does all my art he uh i had him concept another three pack of um space pigs so um you know, it's the, got the goofy scientist with the wacky hair. It's got the impossibly chiseled featured captain. It's got the, the you know, female communications officer. Um, that'll be coming down the pipe in a while. Um, and I also want to do a pack of uh, bird guys, not chickens, but other birds. And again, also inspired by uh, cartoons from the 80s. Those are the two big ones that are, you know, uh, on my plate right now. Oh man, space pigs! They are, <laughs> they look pretty sweet. I definitely want to see that. Definitely want to see that. So obviously, we we Nick and I have talked quite a bit about this. Is not a test. What else have people used your miniatures for in other games? Um, the big one that uh, people have used my figures in it's my it's my personal preference as a go to for. Um, what I call space poc, you know, like post-apocalyptic space mashup games. Um, I like uh, Mutants and Death Ray Guns by Ganesha Games. Um, it's it's a, a, a sister game to their fantasy one called uh, A Song of Blades and Heroes. Oh, and, okay, uh, yeah. They're, they're excellent games, super fast play, really dynamic um, they can be over once you know the game. They can be, you know, you can get in a game in forty minutes, and then you're if, if that's all the time you got, you're good to go. Um, and small units, so you know, one or two packs of my guys, and you've got a, a party or a faction, as as you want to call it, and off you go. Yeah, sweet. Uh, Nick and I are huge into skirmish level games. Aside from, you know, I mentioned Kings of War a couple of times, but aside from that, I really don't play any games where there's a ton of models on the table at any one time. I think the most, my typical game, the most I ever really want to see is about 15 models per side. And that's, that's stretching the limit. I, I like having small skirmishy games that play fast. Uh, a lot of independent games, I guess, if you want to look at it that way, stuff that people have like poured their heart and souls into. Yeah. My, uh, my scale of choice is 28 millimeter. It's really all. Awesome all I buy, it's all I collect, it's all I make, 28, 30 mil, whatever, it's all the same to me. Um, and I, I, I'm on the same page with you about, like, sizes of games. Uh, a, yeah, two dozen figs per side is too many figs, and a dozen, yeah, that's about right. Yeah, if you can get away with, like, those, like, elite four or five, then, you know, and make it all kind of work. That that's really what I like because that way I could really take time and put personality into my models, compared to 
here's line troop one, line troop two, line troop three, on and on and on, and they're just going to die anyway, so I'm going to base code them and call them a day. Yeah, yeah. And I actually um, make up stories about my guys, too. So, like, over time, uh, one, my minis don't – they stop be, being just, like, minis and, like, placeholders or or – figures and they actually start to become characters at least in my own mind well i could totally understand why i mean you're spending how much time working on them and uh getting all that stuff done you you want to have something to show for it in the end outside of the fact that this is you know sword dude number seven exactly sweet so what other games are you playing right now aside from um a song of blades and heroes and um, I'm sorry. What was the name of the other one? Oh, oh the, the the science fiction one uh, of those pair is mutants and death ray guns. Mutants and death ray guns. I'm gonna have to check that one out. Yeah, they're great. I think his you can get his PDF for like um, eight bucks or something on the Ganesha game. Um, and all the games are interchangeable. They do a they do like a swash and buckle piratey one. They do. A, um, uh, they've got a flying lead kind of pulpy World War II one, and all of them are essentially interchangeable. The reason I like that is because I like in my games to have, you know, a gang of Mexican banjos fight orcs. And make it so I like, to, you know, I like to be able to have a conversion system. So... Yeah, as far as other games that I'm into right now, um, I really like it. And it's a bigger unit game, which is a slight contradiction from what I said earlier. I don't play it a lot, but I really like it is um, a very British Civil War. Uh, It's it's a really cool game. And who puts that one out? Oh, who does that? Um, Solway Crafts and Miniatures. It's, it's, a, it's another, like you talk about, you mentioned earlier, uh, really liking games that um, were like smaller presses that people just poured their hearts and souls into. And it's one of those games. It imagines uh, the, the king didn't abdicate in 1936 or 7 or whatever year that was, and that led to a civil war. And it's actually pretty entertaining. I take it that one's kind of your mass combat rank and file troops. Yeah, it's um, it's it's a it's a one to one scale, like a, a for in terms of miniatures, and uh, anything more than a platoon is unwieldy. So on each side, you're you've got thirty thirty five guys max, and it's actually like you know this this rifle section fires on that rifle section kind of rules, right? Right. You're the not targeting really individuals. Fun. And I'm just looking at my shelf here. Bear with me one second. Uh, yeah, the other games that I like are the um, Crooked Dice games. I like uh, Seventh Voyage and um, the Other World Miniatures game, which is essentially just Seventh Voyage translated to D&D. Makes sense. Yeah, they're, they're really great games. A little more... Um, of a, of a prof, you know, like each figure has a, a stat line than I, than I really like. Um, but they're still great games. 
Huh, so yeah, so you definitely much more of a skirmish. Uh, the models aren't just models; they're personality style games. Yeah, I, I've been, been thinking about this a lot lately, and I realized that in terms of scale, I, I prefer literalism. Like that figure is one guy, and you know, like two inches is two yards, or sorry, an inch is two yards. Like that kind of, in terms of the figures and the, their environment, I actually am kind of literal. But in terms of the rules, I really prefer abstraction. Well, it makes sense. I mean, at the end of the day, you cannot simulate real-world combat with a turn-based game. Exactly. And dice. Like, it's just, it's not going to happen. I mean, you can yeah. try to get as close as possible, but it's not going to happen. That's right. Yeah, I agree with that. And that one of the things I like about the the Ganesha Games line of rules is that they're kind of like if Rogue Trader and Crossfire had a love child. Huh. So they so going back to that then, they, they kind of have like a feeling of like each model is customizable, but they're not they may not be individuals like it's not Space Marine Bill and Space Marine Bob. It's, you know, it's two separate Space Marines, but each one you kind of buy stuff for them separately. That's right. Yeah, they're very much um, campaign based uh, rules. So you start out, like I said, with about a half dozen. Let's say your, your party is a half dozen guys. Well, each of those figures is also a character. And I really, I really do like that. I like the stories that it's possible to tell with a skirmish game, uh, a skirmish game, rather than just you know lining my guys up and shooting your guys. Yeah, then gun line attrition. Yeah, yeah, I really like um, like each game is, can actually be an adventure, that, which kind of appeals to my you know my my inner younger self still playing D anD D you know in my basement. Yeah, I still try to do that every once in a while, but it just never seems to happen. That's a problem with growing old. Yeah, I hear you. <laughs> so, so what other games have you uh, kind of touched on your radar lately? I mean, obviously you've got those that you just mentioned. Is there anything else that you've kind of looked at or anything that maybe just recently came out that struck your fancy? Yeah, there's um, – actually, I just learned about it three three or four days ago um, – there's a set of rules um, which has just recently come out in uh, Britain, and it's called Winter of 79. And it um, is exactly what it says on the tin. It's about um, a slightly different course um, than was historically factual with you know, the, uh, the, the rise and election of Thatcher and like, I, like, I didn't know a whole bunch of this stuff. Like Britain was going wacky in the late seventies and it's a skirmish set of rules, um, urban terrain. So, you know, lots of gas stations and, and, and row housing, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it's like if Coronation street, you know, became a skirmish game. Okay, yeah, so definitely a little bit more up close and personal. Um, has the option to expand, but really it's not meant to be played that way. That's right, yeah. No, it's pretty much 
the winter of 79. You know, um, anti-government forces, government forces, police skulking about, arresting people, like that kind of thing. Again, nice. one of those, you know, heart and soul niche market games. But it looks really cool. So have you thought about trying to develop any uh, specific uh, rules engines for your games or for your models at all? I, In terms of rules for my models, no. I, I'm, I think... Um, this is not a test and mutants and death ray guns. And there's another one out of the UK recently called waste man, which is also good. It's more like this is not a test, but it's very good. Um, I think those guys got my, my genre covered. Um, my, my secret deepest heart of hearts, um, game that I've been working on for a couple of, well, a few years now is pirates versus ninjas. Always a good topic. Yeah, I'm pretty happy with the rules. I think I'm about ready to start properly putting them together, doing a layout and releasing it. I'll probably do it as a PDF. That seems to be the way that a lot of the indie uh, companies are going with rules nowadays. I think it's just becoming too costly for people to try to put rule books out because then it's a matter of where are you going to store them? You know, are they going to be sold into like major chain, you know, distribution and retail? So. I don't know how things are up there in Canada, but I know like here in the U.S., there's times where it's really, really, really hard for people to get their games out there through major distribution chains just because a lot of them, I guess, are so leery of trying new stuff. Like if you're not Fantasy Flight Games or Games Workshop, they pretty much want nothing to do with you. Yeah, it's one of those things where if we don't already know you, we don't want to know you. Yeah. That's kind yeah, of the vibe no, that, that, I, that happens that, here as well. My my local guy up the street, uh, Strategies Games up Main Street here in Vancouver. Um, I've asked him because I, I every once in a while I discover a, a curious little niche game, right? And then my first go to is I always want to give Darren my money if I can, right? And I frequently, unfortunately, because these are smaller games, I send him an email and say, "Hey man, can you get me one of these?" And his answer, unfortunately, frequently is no. They're not in distribution. Right, and then trying to order direct is a giant pain in the butt half the time just because of the fact that, you know, a, a store already has enough to do. And if they're not big enough or don't have the employee base to call each, each individual manufacturer of everything out there that they carry, I mean, that's hours upon hours of work, sometimes each day, just to get that done. Yeah, and I would think uh, the gamble there, and it's probably not much of a gamble, it's probably pretty assured that you're not going to recoup any profit on that work. No, at that point, you're doing it specifically because somebody asked for it or because somebody wholeheartedly in that area believes in your product and knows it will sell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's some of these games that I'm interested in that I've recently, over the last few years, I've discovered coming out of the UK. A lot of them are games that like wargaming clubs or just groups of buddies decided, Hey, wouldn't it be cool if, and then they just knock their own rules and setting together over the course of a year or two years. And then somebody says, Hey, can I get that? And then they make it available. Yeah. Which is not a bad way to do it. I think it's a really great way to do it. It's, it's almost that every game like that is actually almost a, a work of art because it's, 
totally unique. You know, it's like D&D way back in the day. The original D&D rules books, I love them to death, but they're unreadable. Oh, and they're, they're horrid. What's that? They're horrid when it comes time to that. Yeah, you don't and have I think like a the, one of the main reasons for that is is that they were really just written down for the guys who were already playing the game, and then they decided to publish it. Yeah, I uh, I remember trying to jump in on like original Dungeons and Dragons. Somebody decided to do a throwback weekend. Yeah, and I tried making a character, and I remember opening the book and just I looked at it for ten minutes, and I went, I have no idea what the fuck I am doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a really good single volume edit you can find online. It's a PDF. Um, I think with the guy and one of the guys involved, I think his handle is Gray Harp. I hope I'm not getting that wrong. Um, and then, so he released it, uh, and then somebody came along and helped him relay it out. And it's actually bulletproof. Like you can flip through it, and character generation is where you'd think it should be, and it reads the way you, it should, and etc. Um, but as, like I say, as much as I love OD and D man, that book is a chore. Yeah. Yeah. The only, uh, the only way that book wasn't really a chore is if you were playing either a dwarf or an elf, cause you pretty much knew that your race was your class at the same time. So you were kind of yeah, yeah. set. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. So Nick, what are you working on over there, man? I am, I am trying to put a, uh, put together an entire box set of uh, Kings of Wars dwarves for this weekend. <laughs> so yeah, I had decided to get him roped into uh, this Kings of War. Uh, it's called the Fumble Rumble here in Atlanta, and it's I I kind of put it together. I've been helping out at this game store lately, and Kings of War is one of those games that they're trying to bring back. So cool. Nick ended up buying some Kings of War, so I convinced him to start putting his damn dwarves together so he can come out and use them this weekend. And I think he's hating me very, very much for it. I think he signed me up for the fumble rumble before I bought the dwarves. Yep. I think that's how it really went. How many may games may does a true. Kings of war game use? Um, it's very, as far as that goes, it's very similar to Warhammer fantasy. However, they've okay. got different rules on multi-basing. So, for example, like, you could actually um, get a little bit more scenic. So it's not a matter of, I need 30 orcs on this movement tray. You could actually do it to where it's like, I need, I can go as as low as 21 orcs, mount them on the base, and then instead of having them removed with each wound that you take like you would in typical Warhammer Fantasy, um, the unit is either all there or destroyed. So it's kind of like they get routed. Oh, that's cool. So you, Yes, yeah, so you can actually do what's called uh, multi-basing or scenic basing. So what that allows you to do is you could actually just build, like if you want to do a horde of orcs, you could build your horde of orcs, put them on there as long as it falls within whatever that footprint is. If it's like 80 by 100, you know, 100 millimeters wide, oh, 80 millimeters deep. Cool. Yeah, and then you could build like, you know, they're all with an orc shrine. So... You you put you put less miniatures on it, but you also build it up to be a little bit more of each one is their own mini diorama. Oh, I like that. Yeah, so you could definitely give your armies its own personality. And the cool thing with Kings of War is that they have their own miniatures, but right now they don't care if you use other miniature lines such as uh GW, because not everybody was very happy with Age of Sigmar. So um 
you know, people getting a chance to use a lot of their models that they thought were dead or models from other game systems, they actually encourage it, especially if they don't have models out. So, like, if you're trying to make, you know, uh, one of their new armies is basically an army of fish people, you could right. use another company's fish people models to make the army because they don't have them out yet. And it's perfectly viable in tournaments. That's really great. I think the best part in that is that they give you the heights of your guys, and that's their height. So right. unless you're actually on terrain or whatever, you know, it doesn't matter if the the fish people you use aren't exactly the right height. You have their height. Right. Oh, so that so a, 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 a race's height is part of its stats. Yes, um, I guess that's for in case you need to shoot over somebody. I guess. Exactly. So if you have if you have a medium cavalry and you have, you know, like a medium infantry in front of you and you have archers behind you, the archers can't hit the medium infantry in front because the medium or large cavalry is bigger. They obstruct right, right. line of sight. That's a cool mechanic. Yeah, so it also allows it too because a lot of the a lot of those classic games where it's uh, very regimented, they, they used what was kind of like a true line of sight where you kind of got down and looked behind from the perspective of the miniatures, which, you know, is kind of makes its own cool first-person dynamic kind of thing going on. But at the same time, it's kind of bullshit because of the sheer fact that, like, what if I wanted to model my dudes to be standing on a cliff face? So now you're going to sit here and tell me that my guys, because they're on this like little two inch piece of foam that I carved to look like a cliff face are two inches taller than what they should be. So either I'm always shooting things or people are always shooting me. Right. Uh, Infinity does the same thing in saying this is the silhouette of your person. This is the volume they take up. So if I'm looking at you, this is what I can really see and shoot you. Um, which is nice because I had one character. I was I was trying to uh, base them kind of neat, and I had clipped some some of the stuff they were standing on, and it turned out not to match up uh, the heights. So they're leaning like really forward and really off their base. If I did that for like 40k, people would be would be pissed because the person's almost laying on the ground. Right, and in 40K, like, uh, the actual figure determines line of sight, right? Yeah, so, but, yeah, yeah. you know, put this person behind even a, you know, small piece of cover, and, oh, hey, they're, you know, 100% in cover. All the time. <laughs> All the time. Hmm. Well, it's funny, I, I I haven't mentioned it on here before, but I think I've talked to Nick about it. Like, I used to get pretty pissed off at my gaming group when I was living up in Wisconsin about the whole true line of sight thing. You know, a lot of people are like, oh, it's a perfectly viable option. And I and I brought up, like, how, how much bullshit it really is. So what I decided to do is uh, we were actually playing 40K, and I took two units of tactical Marines, and I made them all doing belly crawl. So every single one of those Marines was belly crawling. So I would get behind cover that was no taller than a six-sided dice, a standard, like, six-sided dice that you would see at a casino, which is, what, three quarters of an inch tall, you'd never see my freaking space Marines. I'd have full cover, but because I could look over their shoulder and see you 
I can shoot you no problem. Yeah, wow. <laughs> yes. That must have caused some discussion. It did, but, you know, <laughs> I, I, I don't normally try to be that guy, but, you know, sometimes you just have to prove a point and, you know, just kind of move past it. So, you know, it was uh, it was one of those things that I remember we, it ended up, it become like a heated discussion. It's not like it was the Sharks versus the Jets over 40K, but, you know, people were trying to defend to the death the way that that rule worked. And I was trying to explain to them exactly how stupid it was. That's what I ended up doing to prove exactly how stupid it was. Yeah, because, I mean, if, if, if these games represented actual reality, I mean, I've been a soldier. Soldiers don't stand up and walk around the field. No. God, no. If they did, those are the ones that are getting shot. You use those guys for mobile cover. Exactly, right? That's what I like about this new crop of skirmish games. I guess Necromunda, I guess, is probably the first one that really got that ball rolling. The first, I I might be getting it wrong, but I think it is, where it was like necessary for the game, the tabletop, to just be coated in terrain. Yes. Yeah, and uh, actually when you got the Necromunda box set, it actually had a bunch of cardboard, I guess, cutout terrain that you could build and put on the table. Oh, that's cool. I've read so, yeah, ne- they, Necromunda. I've never owned it or played it. Um, but uh, it just seemed to me that, you know, it, it treated modern urban warfare with a, at least a modicum of realism. Compared to everybody just fighting in a parking lot. <laughs> Back to your sharks and jets, right? Yeah, exactly. So the interesting part is it always seems like... Uh, if you actually look at like how 40k is supposed to be set up that you're you're actually typically lacking on terrain even for 40k that it's supposed to be a lot denser than normally gets set up well that's because yeah. a lot of people think that terrain is bullshit in 40k they used to do the same thing in fantasy like you would say oh put out four pieces of terrain so i get two pieces you get two pieces and people would just put the terrain in their deployment zone. I'm like, what was the point of that? Like, that doesn't make for an exciting battle. So in something like fantasy, I don't know. I I kind of question it because typically you didn't like fight right around the farmhouse there. You met in a great big field. Yeah. I mean, a lot of medieval battles. I mean, if you go back through the books, a lot of battles, significant parts of the battle was that there was a bog on one side or something like that. So keeping yeah. it open for fantasy, I get. For keeping it open for 40K, I've actually never understood. The moment you introduce guns to anything, yeah. you need to have a lot of terrain. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. yeah. Exactly. There's a, a couple of rule sets that I like, and the the denser ones... Um, say you should put out some kind of a terrain element per like six inch square on the table. And if you're going to have, like you say, if you're, if you're going to have guns in your game, you should probably be doing that. Yeah. Especially if guys are each treated as like an individual or if it's a small squad based skirmish game, because otherwise they're not going to live very long. Exactly. 
Yeah, uh, you know, Infinity, you can you can totally see it. If the, if it's too open, you're done. Uh, Frostgrave is another one. They actually even say in the rules, it should be dense. Well, that's right. Frostgrave if, is another game I've just recently gotten into. I like it a lot. And you're right, it does say that. Yeah, and um, and you know, it even you know goes on to say if there's if there's more if you can see more than a foot to two foot on your board in a straight line, you probably set up wrong. Yeah, that's right. I forgot that. There's another way of looking at guns. Um, I mentioned a game Crossfire uh, uh, earlier. Um, it's a World War II set of rules. And the assumption is that every rifle or machine gun can shoot the entire board. So um, there isn't a list of ranges for weapons, because if you can see the guy, you can probably shoot him. Right. Like you would expect with most modern firearms. Exactly. Yeah, um, Crossfire is one of those games... Um, it, well, like the mutants of death ray guns, which I'm so fond of that, where you initiative is determined by who is succeeding at initiative. So you can, you can just continue to move your elements until you fail activations. And then once that happens, initiative goes to your opponent. Right. Very similar to, um, I believe song of bleeds and heroes does that. If I remember correctly, because yeah, that's exactly right. To- yeah. Yeah, because I was going to say, how, do, how does that end up working again? You have, like, a dice pool, and uh, you basically say, like, I'm going to use X amount of actions in order to move my forces. And then if you roll any ones in those actions, like, your turn is done, and then it goes to your opponent. That's right. In Mutants and Death Ray Guns, every figure, every model has a quality rating, a Q, which is a number and a plus sign. And on a six-sided die... You have to roll your quality number or better to activate, and there, and in doing that, you gain an action. Now you can roll three dice per figure when you want to activate, and um, if you get if you succeed all three of those, then you can do three three actions, right? Like you can move and shoot and move or whatever, right? But if you were to roll three failures against your quality, um, or two under certain uh, situations, then you either don't get to do anything and it becomes your opponent's turn or you get to do your thing and then it becomes your opponent's turn. And then the guys in the game, you just do that for the whole game. Gotcha. So yeah, because I believe I've heard a couple of my friends that have played it in the past say that um, if you have like one round of really, really, really good dice rolls, you can almost steamroll your opponent's. Because of the fact that it's like your guys just don't stop doing what they do. Exactly. And, and ultimately, you don't stop until you're stopped. You know what I mean? I mean it sounds obvious, but it really is that simple. Um, you can keep going with – I mean there's two, two riders, right, on that. No figure can make more than one attack in a turn. And you can't um, – in one cycle of your activations, you can't move – any figure more than like you can't activate one figure more than once. So let's say I've got five guys. I can make all five of those guys do whatever it is they're going to do, but that's only one attack per guy. So that's five attacks in my turn. And then even if I were still succeeding at activations, once all my guys have gone in a turn, 
it's it's yours now. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, I it's hard for me to comment on that one. It's one that I've always wanted to play. I just haven't. So. Yeah, I recommend I, it. I'm I'm on my website. I have two different um, tabs over on the the uh, upper right. One is blog and one is blather. And how I split my posts out is blog is anything that's science fictiony or spooky or horrory or whatever, and blather is basically fantasy, more or less. Um, and on my, on those uh, tabs, I post some stuff. I because because I write some stuff. I've, I've just made it where I put my own gaming stuff for reference if I'm out and about. So sometimes I, or, or there are a few articles that I've written for myself of notes on those posts. So if you want on those tabs. So if you wanted to take a look at some things about mutants and death ray guns or song of blades and heroes. You can find that. And they also have a really great Yahoo group. Yeah, I'm going to have to check that out. I mean, now that you've mentioned it, uh, my buddy Adam has mentioned it to me quite a few times. He's been playing it for years, and I just kind of turns out one of those things where I just kind of keep, you know, passing it off and passing it off and passing it off because I usually have way too much crap on the table at any one time. So it's, you know, I definitely, it's been one that I've been wanting to check out. So you've probably tipped me in the direction of saying, you know what, we're going to play a game one of these weekends. Cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I won't keep going on about it, but I, I really like it and I do recommend it. Awesome. I do appreciate it. So Nick, how are you doing on those Kings of War Dwarves? Cause uh, I know <laughs> that you were struggling with those damn things earlier. I really do not like these, um, the Rangers. I think it's the Rangers, whichever ones have the guns or crossbows. Um, because no matter how I put them together, uh, they have a belly gap, like a noticeable and huge belly gap. And I'm not a big fan of the uh, Mantic line right now. Maybe I've been spoiled by putting together too much uh, Corvus Belly Infinity stuff lately, but um, these guys just kind of suck. Yeah, Corvus Belly, that's a pretty high bar. Their figures are amazing. They are. I, I've, I've, I've really... I don't, I don't get a whole lot of time to game... But I I do have a lot of time to keep buying and building their figures. What kind of time frame does a game involve? Uh, for Infinity, it kind of depends. Um, usually, I'd say about an hour and a half to two hours. And the only reason why is because of the fact that uh, in that game, you're you're always in, in your own way active. So they have what's called, um, why am I forgetting what the hell the ARO stands for? But, um, um, reaction. I, I want to say it's automatic uh, reaction order. Yeah, I'm probably, automatic I'm, reaction I'm probably order. butchering that. But um, the way that it works is that it's kind of always your turn. So if you get done moving three or four troops and you're kind of like, you know what, I'm going to hold here and see what my opponent does. When your opponent moves... It's not like those guys that just got done moving are just sitting there like a bunch of assholes. Like they're they're scanning the surroundings for whatever's going on around them. So if they could take a pot shot at you know 
a model as it's moving, they have a chance of killing it. So it's it's very similar to where, you know, you might be moving a couple of your models or, you know, a, uh, a link team across the board, which is like a group of usually anywhere between three to five models. And when you're moving that link team, if you come into sight of your opponent's miniatures, they have a chance to fire at you. Just like it would be in, you know, real world combat where if you see something moving in the bushes, you're not just going to sit there and go, hmm, I'm going to wait for them to stop moving and pop their head out and say hello before I open fire. No, you're just going to shoot. Right. That's cool. Yeah. So the other part of it is is that when you spend an order to do something as the active player, it's actually broken up. You have one, it's called a long order, and then you can do two actions in it. You can move and shoot, you can shoot and move, you can move and move. Uh, things like that. So, so that's that's kind of where it plays out. Is as I'm moving, basically in the middle, or you know, say I move and end up in someone's line of sight. No matter where I end up, that other person basically can say, "You were here. I shoot you at that point." Yeah. So their fire is is what in in some other games I've seen the term an, an interrupt. Exactly. Yes. That's that's exactly what the ARO is. Cool. Um and and so then from there you can you can decide what you're doing. Um you can decide, you know, hey, uh, you know, as the reactive player, I'm going to shoot you or I'm going to dodge because you've got a bigger gun than me and I don't want you to hit me with it. Is it a, like if you get hit are you going to die in that game? Pretty much. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a science fiction style game. So, you know, there's, there's definitely some troops in the game that could take it, but you know, a heavy machine gun is a heavy machine gun. Um, right. you know, yeah. Okay. Your armor might be able to take it, but they'll be pouring your gelatinous ass out of it and giving it to somebody else in a few moments. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you you have a few multi wound models, or you know a few other things here and there, um, and then there's always the you know especially when it comes when you think about it you know being a reaction you know oh I saw you I pulled the trigger really quick, um, you know deal, so you know there's there's always those things those factors as well. That sounds like a really good. I've heard a lot about it, and I've got a friend who loves it, but I've not played it. It's uh, definitely a fun game. The one thing that I could I can say about it though that might be a turnoff to some people, and it, it's not necessarily a bad thing. It just comes down to what you prefer in games. There are a lot of keywords in Infinity, so. Um, you know, like each model might have different versions of camouflage. Like because it's the future, camouflage could be anything from a ghillie suit to I actually have like a predator field around me to where I'm just bending the light around me. So there's different levels of camouflage, just like there's different levels of martial arts. There's uh, different levels of scopes. Um, there's also so, you can also hack your opponent's bots and armor. Is that right? Yes. Yes. That's a really cool idea. Unless they're playing Ariadna and you're not hacking a werewolf. 
Well, yeah, but that's but the werewolf isn't a bot. No, but that's usually or, what everybody or says. Or isn't it? No, it's <laughs> uh, it's literally a bot, or it's literally a werewolf. It actually, I, I because I got into and it's it's the U.S. Ariadna, and they got they got marooned, or well, they they settled on this planet, and you know the story goes they basically ended up cut off from everyone for years. But there's another semi-sentient race on the planet that um, at some point they started biting people and those people, you know, pregnant women. And when their kids were born, they were born um, a little extra hairy and they grow a little bit bigger and taller. And then when they get pissed off, they get pissed off and turn into werewolves. That's cool. It's, you know... I don't know. I I read it and I'm like, you know what? The model's cool, but that's a little bit, you know that that's the best you could come up with. <laughs> not yeah. not even like the bite caused like a severe infection in the you know this was like the antibiotic that came up or the you know antidote. Just we bit you and now now you're you know now you're hairy. Now you're a werewolf. Yeah, well, that's why they have a certain um, antipode, as they call the werewolves on the planet. They have antipode handlers that basically go, and we can control you bastards. Well, no, the antipods are the the local sentient race. Those aren't the werewolves. The devil dogs, because the devil dogs aren't handled. Though the nice part is is that they um, they just came out with a guy for the Kazakh line. I can't I can't think of his name. Um, but he's got, he's got an antipod, which is like three times the size of a human on a chain standing next to him. So. Yeah, I I think I've seen that figure. It's pretty badass. Yeah. Finn, (laughs) Finn posted a picture earlier of, uh, restocks for infinity and, uh, it took every ounce of my uh, self control not to run in and go buy that guy because even <laughs> though I have no Kazakhs, I would buy that guy to have the frickin' antipod on a chain standing there. Yeah. So. So yes, to uh, kind of sum that up, Infinity has amazing, amazing models. Oh, and, they're uh, absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, and Are I can they, tell you just from like. Working in the industry and put together. What's that? Are they difficult to put together? They can be. It it all depends on the model, but some of them are really fiddly. I have one that I I went online because the worst part is is that they give you a picture on the box, and then you might get another picture of of some other angle, but you never get like a this is what it's supposed to look like at the end. Oh, and there's I, you don't get an exploded diagram of how to assemble it. No, and, yeah. and most oh. of them are are pretty pretty straightforward. Arm connects to gun. This arm is holding gun, and then head. Right. But some of them are like, okay, well, I've I'm like doing some high kick dance maneuver, and <laughs> I've got this cape that has to stick together. Uh, namely, Toha, I'm looking at you. You have some badass models, but 
You need to get your shit together. <laughs> also, looking at the the Yu Ching from uh, uh, the Japanese sectorial sect, because of the fact they've got all these ninjas and all these like dynamic poses and shit, and it's just like, you know, okay, I understand the left arm and the right arm, but like, is the left arm going over the top of the right arm? Because they'll do stuff like they're they're almost like crossing their arms with two swords or something like that. You kind of look at it and go, you know, having a better picture of this would really help right now. <laughs> <laughs> but they're they're still so beautiful. I mean, even the ones that I've put together and then I've found out I put together wrong. It's like even even put together wrong, you're still a gorgeous model. Well, that's that's winning right there then. Exactly. You know, it's like I'm not even mad that you, you know this is how you're actually supposed to go together, and this is what you really look like. So I think there's yeah. a meme there. Yeah, speaking of winning, I think I'm going to end up taking this tournament this weekend, Nick. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> well, seeing as I might show up with only half my dwarves, I still have to put together those badger riders. Yeah, how are those coming along? I know you were uh, hating life when you saw those damn things. Well, I wasn't hating life when I saw them. I hated life when I opened the bag and started trying to figure out how to put them together. Talk about another company that decides, oh, you don't need instructions. You've put together models before. We're sure you'll get these just fine. (laughs) They didn't want to insult your intelligence by giving you instructions. Right. And then they give me models that don't fit together. Imagine that. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe you're you're supposed to put, like, tentacles coming out of that gap. I haven't a clue. He's just scared. (laughs) It's totally what it is. Because you've been milking those ogres since we started this podcast. Actually, since before that. Okay, one, I got lazy. Two, I only had one eye for a week. Oh my goodness, a week out of, what, we're we're recording episode 11 tonight? (laughs) (laughs) Again, I revert back to number one. I got lazy. Well, I I do get, I, I will give you that. And you were trying to put together terrain for a while. Yes, most of that is done. So... Now it's back onto models. Is got, Kings of War one of those um, terrain light or terrain, would you say it's terrain heavy? Well, it's played on a 6x4 table and you've got movement trays. You know, you, you kind of look at it as like your typical open field mass battle game, but because of the way that the game really relies on terrain to kind of screw with your movement, um, or screw with your opponent's movement for that matter. Um, they almost say that y- you should have probably about eight or nine pieces of terrain on the board. So, okay. you know, taking that into consideration, being a, a, a fantasy game where you've got stuff that flies, stuff that can move through forests, you know, giants that just don't give a damn, you, right. you know, ha- you could have more terrain and not make it feel like this is unrealistic for these battles to be fought here. That, and let's face it, having a lot of terrain stops gun lines. Yeah. Oh, so there's guns in Kings of War, too. Oh, yeah. So, well, like, yeah. Dick's dwarves. 
they're really good at shooting things in the face. <laughs> but that's the thing, though, is they give you the option of either making them a gun or making them a crossbow. It's not like they they all have guns or anything like that, or that there's a significant superiority over one or the other. You know, it's it's still flintlocks and that type of thing. But they do put kind of cool scopes on the top of them, so. Yeah, he's not running around with M60s. It, it was uh it was actually I we got I got in a conversation with people um because somebody was asking a um Browning uh what was the Browning uh machine gun from World War Two? The thirty cal? Yeah. So we we got in a conversation on the this is not a test because someone's like so would this count as a a light machine gun or would this account as an assault rifle? Going with World War II standards, I said, well, it would be a light machine gun. Today it would be an inefficient light machine gun. But you sure as hell wouldn't use it as an assault rifle either because it's just too big, too bulky, too heavy. Yeah, not unless you were Sergeant Rock. Right. So one of the other members kept getting on there and kept asking about, well, what about these modern um, battle rifles which shoot basically the same round? Yeah. And, you know, I was like, well, but the difference is, is those are smaller have modern components, modern, you know, building, you know, even though they were built, you know, or first designed 20 or 30 years after World War II, you know, there, you know, there, there was a lot that changed. So the Browning would still end up being just due to weight and unwieldiness, a light machine gun. Yeah, you're not hip firing that damn thing. And there's yeah, just no, a... if, if your choice is, is this a light machine gun or an assault rifle, if those are your only options, it's definitely a light machine gun. Yeah, that, that was what I said. Uh, what I didn't realize was that the other guy had uh, had contributed kind of a gun scale. And he had kind of already, you know, put that, you know, in the uh, assault rifle, so... You know, it was like, oh, well, um, you know, if that's what you may, you know, if that's like kind of a blessed, this is guns, then sure. Yeah, I mean, for me, knowing, uh, 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 well, as little as I do about guns, but what I do know about guns, I would just change that rule. <laughs> yeah, just say it's a light machine gun and call it a day. Yeah, I, I will apologize. I didn't realize it's starting to storm outside. And and that's why my dog keeps going crazy. He, <laughs> he thinks he can bark thunder away. I have a dog that does that too. It's called a miniature pincher. He thinks he's a full-grown Doberman. <laughs> oh, those I like those dogs. Yeah, mine's psychotic. <laughs> that's that's any dog under twenty or thirty pounds. Yes. Well, guys, I hate to say that we should wrap this up. However, it is 922, and we all know that I work ridiculously early mornings. Well, I've had a great time. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely, Legion. I, You know, we definitely should do this again once we kind of get past all this uh, 
Well, I, I guess at this point, yeah, we are kind of past the uh, the Kickstarter glut that we've been on lately. Uh, Nick and I have been talking a lot about changing it up a little bit and actually just having more discussion and what we're working on compared to, hey, tell us about your Kickstarter and why people should back it. Yeah, I mean, both of them are a good idea because I, I, I having done an Indiegogo, my limited experience that I've got, I get that, you know, if you if you have a crowdfunding thing and you're keen on it, you want people to know about it. And it's good that, you know, you do that as a platform for people. But it's also good. Like I've had a great time with just talking to you guys. So that's good too. Well, I'm glad that we kept you entertained. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully our listeners get behind it too. (laughs) It's kept me from throwing these dwarves against the stupid wall. Stupid. You shut your face and you power through like a man. I'm trying to. (laughs) Wow. <laughs> All right. Well, Legion, is there anything else that you want to say or plug real quick before we jump off? I know that uh, you know. Go ahead and uh, whore out your website a little bit more if you got something else you want to say about upcoming projects. Go ahead uh, and uh, shout it out there. I don't have anything. Um, I think I've said what I need to say about about my stuff. Thanks for for asking. But I will take this opportunity. Speaking of crowdfunding, um, one of my favorite bands, The Darkest of the Hillside Thickets is uh they're essentially a lovecraftian rock band um they're uh, indiegogoing uh for their fifth album right now and if you're it sounds like something you'd be into i recommend your listeners go and check it out well tim that sounds like if they're not into that then they need to unsubscribe (laughs) (laughs) don't say that we've only got like three people don't scare off our guests (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys. Have a good night. Have a good night. Take care, guys.